for the sins of humanity. He is the one way to have relationship with God. That's the interpretation of Jesus that we've had for 2,000 years. We don't need a new one of those. We just need to articulate it, express it fresh. And I believe that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and following, Jesus gives us this vision. And we, to each one of us, as we're hearing this, we need to translate this into your context and into my context. The message of Jesus and what he means to our lives is a message that has been told for generations. So how do we make that message a part of our own lives and use it to create change in others? Pastor Daniel begins a new series today with the hope of challenging us in our expression of the gospel message. Jesus has radically changed our lives. He urges us time and again to radically share that change with everyone we meet. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message, Growing by Knowing. I don't know about you all, but it sure seems like we're in very critical time in history, in America. It feels so often like Things are breaking apart all over the place. Great geopolitical unrest across the world, economic fears. Right here in America, there's a lot of angst about what's going on in the world, about what's going on in our country. It feels like in some ways that America has its own kind of internal civil war that's happening. No, there's not bullets flying. There's not all this, there's not rioting in the streets, but it sure feels like it's a critical time. And I think with that reality that it's a critical time, I also realize that it's also time for the people of God, Christians, the people who live in the reality of faith in a God who would love the world, that he would give up his own life, that we might live. It's time for us to catch a vision of who we are. Not a new vision, but the vision that Jesus has always had for us. But one of the things that Bill and I have spoken about so often and people are are interested in is this idea that the body of Christ is meant to be something more than just a homogenized social club of people of the same age and places in life. That there's a greater plan in the mind of God by not just saving us from our sins, but saving us from our sins and ushering us into a community a community that has men and women, that has people of means and people who don't have means, of people who have education or don't have education, of people who are short and tall and a little bit thicker and a little bit thinner and all these different things of every tribe, tongue, and nation, all of us together in one family. It's easy to have a church of everyone just being the same, all young people, all older people. 
But a family isn't just one generation, is it? I remember growing up in my Italian family, there was grandparents and great-grandparents and little babies and teenagers and people in middle age, and they were married and they were single, and there was just, everybody was just together. And I get the sense more than at any other time in history that right now it's important for the body of Christ to rise up, to grow up into our head, Jesus, to be the people God has called us to be. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, said that if Christians lived out the gospel, we'd never have to hold a crusade because people would be crawling over each other to get into church to find out what's going on in there. And I think now, maybe as more than any other time in history, now is the time for us as the children of God to be the people that God has called us to be. You know, it says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18 in your King James Bible, if you have one of those, without vision, my people perish. Without vision, my people perish, it says. And I believe that Jesus, in this passage here in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus articulated a vision for his people, for you and I. Jesus said, I want you to see who you are. It's interesting when you do an interview because they don't write down everything you say. They just write down certain things. And I said, we don't need a fresh interpretation of Jesus. We need a fresh articulation of Jesus. What I was saying is that we don't need a new Jesus. We just need to explain the truths of Jesus in this context. Jesus is the Lord and Savior, He died on a cross for the sins of humanity. He is the one way to have relationship with God. That's the interpretation of Jesus that we've had for 2,000 years. We don't need a new one of those. We just need to articulate it, express it fresh. And I believe that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and following, Jesus gives us this vision. And we need to, each one of us, as we're hearing this, we need to translate this into your context and into my context. What does these words, this vision of who we are in the eyes of Jesus, what does this mean for my life as a mom, as a dad, as a grandparent, as an employee, as an employer, as a single person, as a student, as a young person? As somebody who's looking for work, as somebody who's on the other end of their work, and now you're in retirement, and Pastor Bill's talking about being pro-tired, realizing that, yeah, my working years are done, but I have work to do in the future. So I've entitled this message, Growing by Knowing, because the only way we're going to grow into who God has called us to be who Jesus died that we would be, who the Holy Spirit has been shed abroad on our hearts that we would understand who we are is by knowing this is what God has called us to. This is what God has made us. So look at verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5. Begins very simply. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
I want you to notice in verse 13 and verse 14, it says, you are. Jesus doesn't challenge us to become these things. He simply states that we are these things. He doesn't say you should become like this. It says you are this. And the question for each one of us is, are we either fulfilling or failing at this responsibility? Are we fulfilling this or are we failing at this? And so as we go through this, I want to encourage you, if you find ways that you're fulfilling it, Give God glory for that and say, Lord, fulfill it more in my life. And if you find that as we're talking about this, you're like, I'm failing at this. I want you to simply give God glory and say, Lord, I'm sorry for not doing a good job here. Will you empower me to do it? Either way, whether we're fulfilling or failing, God's going to get the glory. And we're going to ask God to do what he wants to do in our lives. So Jesus begins, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. First, as salt, we are God's sensational seasoning. As salt, we are God's sensational seasoning. Now, I like that because we have a lot of S's there, so it rolls well off the tongue. If I was a hip-hop artist, I'd be able to roll with that. But I love what he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, historically, salt has been used for lots of things. Before the advent of freezers, salt was a great preservative. So before you had an icebox and you had some meat, if you wanted to keep the meat a little bit longer, you'd rub salt on it. It would keep it from decaying. So salt has a preservative flavor. We know that salt promotes thirst You guys know what that's like, right? Eat something salty. You got to drink some water with it. Salt is a thirst promoter. And these are different ways that really God wants to use his people. Salt as a preservative. We are meant to keep the world from decaying. As a thirst promoter, as Pastor Bill said when he was going through the basics, the beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled or satisfied. So our lives in Christ should be promoting a thirst for the things of God. That when people get that thirst, you know, Gatorade isn't the great thirst quencher. God is. God is the one that satisfies the longing of a soul. So all these things are true about salt, but in this passage, Jesus says, if the salt loses its flavor. So we are God's sensational seasoning. You think about what seasoning does. Now, I'm Italian, so you know what seasoning I'm going to talk about, right? Garlic, yeah. Mmm, just the thought of it gets me hungry. You know, you can put garlic on almost anything. Actually, I even tasted garlic ice cream one time, and I have to say it was mighty good. That might be like a New Jersey thing. I don't know, but it was, mm. see, you can take something that's all right, but if you sensationally season it, it really gets flavorful, right? You guys know what it's like. Maybe you've got someone at home who cooks really well. Maybe you do, or maybe you know somebody who cooks really well. And all of a sudden they just take these ingredients, they put them together. And it's just like, it's like magic on a plate. 
And it's just so good with every bite. Last night I was over at a couple's house, me and my family, and every bite I was like, mmm. You know, I'm one of those guys when I'm eating, you know? They go like, mmm. And right as you get done, you're like, can I have some more, please? Mmm. You guys have eaten meals like that, I hope, right? Maybe you're not a verbal processor like me, so you don't, you're not all vocal about it, but I am. It's how God made me. This is who the people of God are meant to be in the world. We, as salt, we're God's sensational seasoning. Listen to Eugene Peterson in his translation of the Bible into common language called the message. He says this, you're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and you will end up in the garbage. I like that. We are God's salt seasoning to bring out the God flavors of the earth. See, you guys know what this is like. You live in 21st century America. You go shopping and it's just like all these grumpy people with more things than anybody in the world. And they're just like little drones, like doing life, enduring life. Nobody's smiling. Nobody's breathing the air and saying, thank you, Lord, for lungs. Nobody's smelling the smells. Nobody's sitting there at the beautiful pink blossoms that are just blooming, just like, wow. Nobody's looking at their spouse and saying, sure, you're getting old, but you're getting better with age, and I love you. Nobody's looking at their jobs and saying, work is good and given by God. And if we, as the children of God, born again by the name and the finished work of Jesus, don't grab hold of this glorious life, realizing that the true center of everything is the glory of God, if we're not living out that reality, then how can we expect anybody else to? We're bringing out the God flavors from life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, seeing the handprints of God all over these situations. We are this. We are called to be this. It's interesting what he says. He says, if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Brothers and sisters, are we saltless salt? Have we bought into the lie of just walking through this life kind of dreary, not enjoying this life that God has given us, not calling the blessings of God, which is everything, the blessings of God? Are we on our jobs complaining about it, just like our coworkers? Are we saying, look, I know this is a hard job, but we have a job, and work is good. And I do my work not for my boss, I do it as unto the Lord. And I love my spouse not just for their benefit, but I do it because I love God. And you know what? Our country has some work to do, but I'm proud to be here. And I'm actually, I even love the people who I disagree with politically. I really love them because they're creating the image and likeness of God. And we walk through life and we enjoy the things that God has given us. The eyes that see and the nose that smells and the lips that taste and the ears that hear. And we hear music. We say, oh, sound. Yes. We should be living these glorious lives of overflowing thankfulness no matter what it looks like. You know, it's interesting. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, Paul uses, he's speaking of a similar thing, although he uses a different analogy. He says, now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ 
and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. To the other, we are the aroma of life leading to life. And then Paul says, and who is sufficient for these things? See, this is, if you think about what Paul's saying, we're the fragrance of Christ. To those who reject Jesus, we are the fragrance of death leading to death. This is why, as Pastor Bill just read at the end of the Beatitudes, we get persecuted. Because for some people, us living out the glory of life in Jesus is going to be repulsive. And we become the fragrance of death leading to death. We can't control that. That's their stuff, not ours. But to others, we are the aroma of life leading to life. And it's interesting, he says, you are the fragrance, to God you are the fragrance of Christ. See, the reality is we live our lives heavenward, vertically, to Jesus, to God. We are the fragrance of Christ to God, and then everyone around us, we're the salt seasoning. This is who we are. This is who we are in Christ. But would to God that we wouldn't be that saltless salt that flavorless salt, that's useless. And I think when you look around at America, America largely sees the church of Jesus Christ as flavorless salt. Not only because they don't believe. In some reason, we have to own our stuff. We have to say, you know what? Look, in some ways, we've done a really lousy job of being the salt seasoning of the earth. But just because we used to be lousy doesn't mean we should be any longer Our past is forgiven if we've repented of it. We have control by the Spirit of God over today. So we can't go back. We have to apologize for the things we did wrong, but we have today. What are we going to do different today? How are we going to be different today? How are we going to be the salt seasoning of the earth? God's sensational, phenomenal seasoning that he ordained us to be today and tomorrow and on into the future. Now from there, Jesus changes the picture First he used salt, now he uses light. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. I need to make this point. Jesus is the light. We are the reflection. When Jesus says you are the light of the world, we have to realize Jesus is the light. We are the reflection. How do I know this? Well, if you were to look in John's gospel, in John chapter 8, verse 12, or John chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus says that he is the light of the world. In both of these places, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But now he says, you are the light of the world. So Jesus is the light, and we are the reflection of this light. How do I know this? I know this by Genesis chapter 1. If you want, you can turn there with me. Just keep your finger there in Matthew 5. Just turn to the, almost probably the first page of all of your Bibles, or at least the first text page. Genesis chapter 1, it says this in verse 14. Genesis 1:14. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. In verse 16, it says, Then God made two great lights, 
the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God made the greater light to rule the day. What's the light that rules the day? The sun, right? Fascinating, the sun. I know we spell it S-U-N. But imagine that the sun, Jesus, S-O-N. What's the light that rules the night? The lesser light, the moon. Does the moon generate its own light? No. What does the moon do? It reflects the light of the sun. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's by chance? No. Because Jesus is the light of the world. He's the sun. He is the light generator. And our job is to reflect that light just like the moon does to the sun. That is what we do. We are meant to be reflections of the light of Jesus in the world. And that's how we're the light of the world. A lot of people say, oh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? And that's a great little song. And people love to sing it, even not Christian people. But the reality is, is that when we sing that song, we're really saying, I'm going to be reflecting the light of Jesus, and his light is my light. Now, don't get me wrong. We all have different hues or different filters. So maybe I'm red hot or something like that. And so when the light of Jesus comes through me, it comes through red. Maybe you're a blue. Maybe you're a green. Maybe you're a mauve. And I'm not knocking mauve. I don't, they even, that sounds so New Jersey, mauve. Get some mauve. The key is it doesn't matter what the refraction is through your life as long as it is the light of Jesus that is reflecting through your life. It doesn't matter what the color scheme is because we're all created unique in the eyes of God. But the key is that he is the light and we are the reflection. He is the light. He wants to reflect himself into the world through us. So he says, you are the light of the world. And then look what he says. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Brothers and sisters, as light, we are to be on display and contagious. As light, we are to be on display and contagious. I get the on display from the middle of verse 14 and verse 15. First, Jesus says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, if you were to be sitting on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee in a town called Capernaum, which means the town of Nahum, but we know it as Capernaum. It's funny, when Lynn and I, we went to Israel and we jumped in a taxi and I was pretty sick. I ate some funky falafel in the bus station. It was a little rough. You know, it was good falafel, but it was funky on the, uh, after a couple of minutes, I was like, whoa. So we get in this taxi and I'm all white and sweating and Lynn's there and Obadiah was like one years old. And I'm like, can you take us to Capernaum? You know, and the guy's just like, huh? Capernaum, I mean, it's all over my Bible. And he's like looking at us like, and I look terrible anyway, so we looked at me sideways too, you know? And he's like, oh, Capernaum. It's interesting because Capher is the word city or town and Nahum is the prophet Nahum. Jesus is real. Pastor Daniel shared with us today a challenge from Jesus to be the light of the world. 
His bright, loving light shines into our lives when we accept His free gift of grace by His death on the cross. We are then to reflect that light of Jesus to everyone we meet. Walking with Jesus is one of the most amazing, exciting, terrifying, and exhilarating things that we can do in this life. There's always blessings and there's always struggles. So how do we navigate life? A while back, God began to speak to me through the book of Ephesians about living in this messy world as a follower of Jesus. So based on the insights that I got from the text and from my own life, I wrote a book called Honestly, Getting Real About Jesus in Our Messy Lives. In this book, I tackle real life issues and point us to the real Jesus. I'd love to get a copy of that book into your hands. Here's Josh with some more information. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Throughout the month of July, we'd like to offer all of the Jesus is Real radio listeners a copy of Pastor Daniel's book, Honestly, Getting Real About Jesus and Our Messy Lives. We'll send a free copy of this book as a thank you to anyone who supports Jesus is Real radio with a gift of $25 or more. Check out JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner for more information. Now, here's what's coming up in the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will encourage us to be contagious. Jesus challenges us to share his love and message with the world. And we can do this by simply living as Jesus lived. People will notice as we share Jesus' love everywhere we go. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled The Mission Growing. Until then, may God bless.